the direction's been very, very clear from um, state premiers in New South Wales and Victoria about the vaccine um, passport and that that's going to be uh, something applicable to our industry. So again, we're just trying to share that information and, and let them know, you know that, that that is coming. Today on Dirty Linen, I am really excited about the conversation to follow because it's broad ranging. I know it's going to be juicy and it's going to have lots of of uh, practical and actionable ideas as well. We are talking to James Sinclair. He's the CEO and Managing Director of Signature Hospitality Group, which has venues around the country and connections with uh, venues around the world. James, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks for having me, Danny. Yeah, it's really good to have you here because I know you've got a really broad perspective on uh, the path forward for hospitality because of the connections that your venues have uh, yeah, in um, internationally. Just give us a bit of a lowdown on, on yourself and Signature Hospitality Group and those overseas connections. Sure. Well, uh, I started um, the Sporting Globe Bar and Grill over a decade ago and the first venue was in Geelong and I'd done that after living abroad um, for a number of years and particularly in the US where I'd seen the sports bar model. Uh, And fast forward today, uh, I've grown that brand uh, nationally uh, to 17 locations and about four years ago, I also acquired the TGI Fridays franchise for Australia and New Zealand. And that brand started in New York City in 1965 and has grown successfully to operate in um, over 50 countries globally, um, nearly a 1,000 locations and 75,000 people globally, um, operating under it as a set of licensed franchise model. So in, in countries all around the world, there's someone like myself that's typically got other brands as part of a larger hospitality group um, that will also operate TGI Fridays in their nation. And what's your background? Like, are you a hospo guy for life? Uh, Look, I was actually a finance background, studied finance and economics. Um, I worked for some major uh, finance firms. Um, And as I said, when I was in my young 20s and in America, I fell in love, um, which is quite easy to do when you're in your early 20s with chicken wings and beer and sports. (laughs) And, uh, you know, again, I'd I'd come back to Australia and I had an experience with my brother where we were trying to watch um, some sporting games and we crawled up and down Chapel Street and nobody had the game on um, and it was really frustrating experience and again at that stage um, there weren't really um, dedicated sports offerings and probably the concept of a sports bar was a bit dingy and sounded like the corner of a, of a pub with a TAB and a bloke in overalls, you know, swearing at the dogs. So <laughs> um, that, that was in stark contrast of the experience I'd had, which was very female-friendly, great quality food, 60-plus screens, multiple sports vision. And I could see the Australian, I mean, the Australian sporting uh, landscape has always been enormous. It's our number one favourite pastime. And I could see the content of sport growing in Australia. Australia. And again, I just thought there really is an opportunity to um, to do in Australia um, something that's been done well overseas and do it a bit the Australian way. And what's your favourite sport to watch on the telly or will you watch anything that's got a ball <laughs> or some fast running going on in it? 
Well, there's so many sports you just can't follow everything. But um, I certainly love some of the American sports. When I was over there, I, I uh, became a Giants fan um, and I love the NFL. Um, in Australia, in, in Melbourne, here, um, I'm very nervous today because I'm a tragic demon. And actually, the Sporting Club we sponsor the Melbourne Footy Club, um, a small way. So we're very nervous about tonight. And Geelong's my number two AFL team, so I've got a real affinity for them too. So a uh, couple um, of horses in the race. It, well, no, I'm definitely on the D's tonight, but okay. um, uh, yeah, it's a bit nerve wracking and be lovely to see them break the drought if they can make a grand final um, and, and do well in that after 57 years. Well, by the time we get this out, we'll know who's in the grand final. Um, and I certainly hope that Melbourne is there. I love a drought breaker. And as a Carlton supporter, I'm <laughs> all for those who haven't had recent success managing to get back on top. Good to hear. Um, so, James, let's get to it. Um, what do you think the big issues are for you at the moment? Well, of course, uh, we need clarity on a way out um, of this pandemic on a reopening plan, and I think we're all desperate to hear that. Um, different industry bodies have made different suggestions, and we've now seen Sydney leading um, with a plan to reopen hospitality at 70% fully vaccinated, uh, with a with with certain um, quotients of of capacity on capacity, and of course um, a vaccine passport. Uh, there's been talk of that in Victoria, and we've seen that implemented successfully abroad. So I think that's a really key thing that um, that we want some certainty around and businesses are desperate um, to see that for confidence and to help us plan. Uh, and we've got to plan our workforce if that's the way forward. And I mean, where do you think, speaking of the workforce, how is how are vaccinations among staff going? I mean, you're not able to mandate it, but um, you, what sort of, what are you doing to ensure that your staff do get vaccinated? So I think obviously the the what the uh, governments have flagged that a, a vaccine mandate or a vaccine passport is coming has really uh, given um, given us uh, some strong incentive to have those conversations with team and honest conversations. So uh, we're certainly explaining about where we see government and um, the industry going with vaccine passports. Uh, and on top of that, we've just shared a lot of government information about uh, the different vaccines that are available, um, where they can go to get them. Uh, and we have surveyed staff um, to check what their status is. And the overwhelming response is over 90% of them want to get vaccinated. Um, we're struggling to get them all vaccinated. It is hard to get bookings. Um, so we're doing our best to try and find bookings for staff members. And we're also um, looking at putting on some buses to take them to um, particular um, vaccine hubs that may have availability. Wow, that's a different kind of team trip, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think there, there are, of course, a few that, um, you know, have still have reservations and we've tried to um, just provide information and education around that. Again, we want it, we would love for people to, you know, make their own decision about that. But um, we really see that's going to be what is um, what is implemented in the industry um, for a period. Uh, and the data that we're seeing from around the world, I guess, means that we have real faith in the science. Uh, and I can talk to, you know, in America where TGI Friday started 
um, and still has you know nearly 500 locations. They're they're seeing in the northeast where a vaccine passports now being implemented in New York, uh, vaccine rates are much much higher. Um, hospitalisation rates are a lot lower, and a recent study done by the uh, CDC over there shows that unvaccinated people in the US are 29 times more likely um, to be hospitalised when they do have COVID than those who are vaccinated. So that's really compelling. And I think, um, you know, on a weekly basis at the minute in the US, it's one in 100,000 people that are, are being that are vaccinated are being hospitalised, as I said, compared to 29 times that unvaccinated. So in places like New York, where, where people are getting vaccinated and the vaccine passports in play, um, businesses have a lot more confidence and certainty. I think um, people are bullish. It's easier for staff to get staff availability um, and they're getting on with it. In the South, sadly, it's not the case. And um, TGI Fridays have described it to me as, as the um, pandemic of the unvaccinated. And TGI's is headquartered in Dallas in Texas. And um, down in the south there, they're, they're really struggling. They've got quite a stubborn um, vaccination rate. Um, and there are people getting very, very ill. Um, and including to the point now where tragically they're having a look at pop-up tents for, with makeshift hospital beds, which is just the furthest thing that we could possibly want for Australia, which is why I guess, you know, we all um, as an industry and as a community um, need to get this done. Yeah, I mean, you don't like to hear about that situation anywhere. Um, it's it, it does seem particularly, I don't know if surprising is the right word because I feel like I'm not surprised by anything at the moment, but it's perplexing that when there are real-world examples of how effective vaccination is and how it does lead to businesses being able to reopen and, of course, staff to be able to go to work safely, uh, it's just very strange that people aren't getting on board. But, yeah, I guess there are so many voices and people have so many yeah, so many different opinions in their ears that it's, it can really be hard to get a clear through line. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the communications we all know around the vaccines, particularly AstraZeneca, um, have been very challenged in Australia. Uh, and you compare that with um, the UK, where there's 88 TGI Fridays there, and they are absolutely booming right now. Um, off the back of uh, reopening, when you do get um, enough of the population vaccinated, um, people are desperate to get back at, out into hospitality. Yeah. Um, we're at, at, you know, one of the highest saving rates for households of, for decades, and we've got huge pent-up demand to get out to venues. So um, I've got no doubt the demand is going to be enormous um, when we do get back reopened, and we just really desperately need to do that as quickly as possible but as safely as possible, and that means achieving as high a rate of vaccination as we possibly can, um, in my view. Yeah, and I mean, just to be clear, the the AstraZeneca vaccine is the one that was rolled out most commonly in the UK, and so that's that's the vaccine that's got that country open and trading. What, what have you heard from from your staff here? You know, who I'm assuming are in a younger age bracket for the most part, and have had you know been sort of yeah, heard all that mixed messaging around AstraZeneca, or you know, confusing and and ever changing messaging. Are some of them now? still, um, are they holding out for Pfizer? Is that why they're having trouble getting the bookings? Yeah, there's no doubt the strong preference is for Pfizer. Um, again, uh, and I think a combination of the um, messaging that was unfortunate around that early days uh, 
And I think on top of that too, I know first-hand examples of um, staff that have gone to get AstraZeneca uh, and had a doctor tell them, no, we don't um, recommend AstraZeneca for you given you are um, in such a, in a younger age category and that Pfizer is so close. And that that's perplexing because that's really still very mixed messaging from, you know, what we hear from um, certain avenues, which is the best vaccine is the one that's in front of you right now. Yeah. And I just, I think that's, some for for some people, and you can understand why, because there has been so much noise around it. For some people, that message just doesn't quite cut through. They've, they've, um, I mean, we're such a vaccinated nation in Australia generally. It's just, it's, it is really disappointing that there's been so much fear and confusion that's sprung up around uh, around something that's um, been developed to get us, you know, keep us safe and get us back out there enjoying our lives. Absolutely. But, that's just what's happened. Um, so, you know, you, you want a roadmap. What would what kind of roadmap would you like to see? Well, I, I think um, having the regions reopen now, specifically we've got um, uh, very large venues in Geelong and Ballarat. Um, and, you know, those both of those venues have capacity for well more than 500 people with really large outdoor areas as well. Uh, and our beer garden in Geelong is is probably the largest beer garden in the CBD there. And again, right now we're limited to 20 people outside. Uh, last year at grand final day, uh, we had uh, a, a one in two square meterage rule and that's only applied to public space. So you must exclude, you know, walkways and um, waiting area at the bar and, you know, the, the, all, the, all the bar areas and back of house space. And, and that facilitated 108 patrons to be there for grand final day. And I think um, I'd love to see us get this, get a get a, a vaccine passport trialed ASAP in the regions. And I think we should look at one in two square metres, fully vaccinated, uh, grand final day in the regions, and start to really make a move for that. And we need to bring that to um, to Metro Melbourne as soon as possible. I mean, by the end of this month, we've got the majority of the adult population are vaccinated, and and sitting at home. Um, fully vaccinated. So, um, but meanwhile, we've got a huge um, impost on um, on business, on the economy, on mental health, on on a huge range of flow-on um, detrimental areas. So, um, I, I really do think we should be trying in a in a limited and safe way to engage with vaccinated, fully vaccinated people now. And, and then certainly we need clear policy like what um, New South Wales have done that says at 70%, this is what we will do. And at 80%, um, you know, the, the national roadmap uh, and what the, the cabinet, that the national cabinet have agreed to says that fully vaccinated people will be exempt from domestic restrictions. So we want to see how that looks. I mean, at the moment in regional Victoria, you're allowed to have 10 inside and 20 outside. Are you even opening under those terms? Yeah, absolutely. And look, our business has taken the approach to try and uh, trade for takeaway um, throughout the pandemic too. Uh, and we've done that for engagement of, of staff and uh, engagement with the community. Uh, you know, I just think it's so negative to have our doors shuttered completely. Um, and even if there is some economic costs involved in that, for me, the cultural benefit, the um, to just have, uh, even if it is a faint heart 
beat ticking through um, these closures has been, um, you know, something uh, really important to us um, philosophically. Oh, well, that's good. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I can imagine that 10 people inside some of your venues would be it would be pretty still yeah. very skeletal. But it's, so just the to atmosphere be is not right and, and <laughs> you know, it's completely uneconomical um, yeah. to do it. But, again, um, you know, we've and that's why the JobKeeper uh, program was so much better than the current system where, you know, people are incentivised to sit at home and collect $750 tax-free when under JobKeeper we could have been giving them that money to engage them in some form of meaningful work, even if it is, you know, doing marketing and promotional things for when we reopen, preparations, anything, because people desperately need some engagement to for their well-being. Yeah, no, it makes a massive difference. Although I do think that the disaster payment is taxable, um, isn't it? But not that that's really the point of what you were saying, but yeah. I think the 750 is not, not taxable. It was taxable under the JobKeeper, but this 750 is not, is uh, my understanding. I don't think so, because I think it just comes in as a social security payment. Anyway, that's not really, it's not the main point, but um, so just, so you're asking really only to increase those numbers outside at this point. I think that's the first step that we could do safely and we yeah. could do quickly. Um, so, uh, you know, I would love to see that um, plan put in place, you know, effective immediately. Um, you know, outdoor transmission seems to be something that uh, when we listen to experts, um, medical experts around the world, um, they're all suggesting that outdoor is much, much safer than indoor. Um, and again, where we've got low uh, case numbers and dealing with fully vaccinated patrons, that would seem a, a, a fairly safe step to take. And what about your staff? Which Are you in a position to staff those businesses with fully vaccinated staff at the moment? Sure. Given the lower numbers that, and capacity restrictions, we, we are for sure right now. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we are working really hard to get people uh, and our team and a fully uh, vaccinated workforce as soon as possible. Um, I do think um, in, a, in some limited way it would be great to allow some staff in settings um, to, to have a single dose and be able to uh, partake, mainly because we know the younger generation, which typically work hospo, have been the last to be allowed to get vaccinated. So naturally that's taking um, a little bit of time. And we saw in Sydney, um, it was mandated from higher risk LGAs, staff were required to have one dose to work. Uh, and we had that um, with many of our staff. Uh, and that was extended um, on two different occasions just to ensure they'd had ample time and opportunity to actually get vaccinated. Um, so we, we need probably to start looking at that because that provides some real clarity. And then I think we need to prioritise some vaccinations for our younger people. Um, and I know you had a fantastic uh, epidemiologist as a guest recently and was an advocate for that sort of 20 to 39 age group. Um, to be vaccinated uh, as a priority because they are the ones out there in the community the most. And what we're seeing is two-thirds of case numbers are coming from the sub-40 category. Um, yeah, it just is so logical to prioritise uh, people in that age group. They're the frontline workers. They're mixing among themselves. Uh, it just, yeah, it's just been Mary Louise McClaws, the epidemiologist that you refer to, has been saying for a long time that we needed to prioritise those people. So, yeah, let, I mean, <laughs> better late than never, I guess. Um, but so do you see the notion 
question of saying that your staff members are fully vaccinated, you know, when that's possible and to whatever extent. Do you see that as a, as a selling point for your businesses? Look, I, I think it will give the community confidence for sure to come back to hospitality um, and and I think it's going to be something that we see quite universally. So, um, yes, in short, absolutely, it will be um, a positive and provide confidence and, and that will help us all. Yeah, absolutely. Have you been, uh, have you had any pushback on your position by anti-vaxxers? Oh, absolutely. I think there are there are certain people that have you know grave concerns, and again, um, we've been extremely respectful to try to understand what they are um, and share information. I mean, ultimately, uh, you know, the 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 directions been very very clear from um, state premiers in New South Wales and Victoria about the vaccine um, passport and that that's going to be uh, something applicable to our industry. So again, we're just trying to share that information and, and let them know, you know, that 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 is coming. Uh, and then, you know, again, it's it's about health concerns. You know, people are concerned about what are the risks. So sharing information around that. Um, and I think. You know the science um, of of what these vaccines uh, have have been able to do, how they've come about, um, what the actual incident rate is of adverse reactions. Sharing all that information really helps appease people. Uh, and then on top of that, talking about the the really huge benefits for um, the community of having a highly vaccinated population. Because even for younger people, and a common thing young, young people might say is, well, I'm, I'm young and healthy and if I get COVID, I see the risk is very, very low for something detrimental to happen to me. Well, um, you know, we're a community that's far um, broader minded than that. And there are, unfortunately, so many people who are, um, who have uh, underlying conditions uh, or maybe, you know, compromised immune systems that are younger, um, kids that are younger um, or elderly people that are affected. So um, if, you, if you're not uh, getting vaccinated and doing it for yourself, you, we need to be doing it for them because, um, again, I know a case of a, quite a young person who's been double vaccinated and unfortunately they're autoimmune and they're not showing antibodies um, and they are at high, high risk of death and nothing they can do about it other than try to associate only in safe environments with vaccinated people. Mm, so we yeah. need to be socially minded and, and um, you know, if you can do it, if we, if we can do that together, again, my personal view is, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's the right thing for us to be trying to do. So, James, I think, you know, this time last year, we were probably also asking for a roadmap and looking for a way forward. Um, you know, what do you reckon of pandemics? They're, they're a bit challenging, aren't they? There's no doubt. It's, um, as you said, it's very fluid. Um, but I think we're at great advantage in Australia. I mean, the learnings that we've had from this have been just tremendous. You know, being an island nation, being a country that generally embraces science and um, embraces vaccines, um, the, 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 a great development of mRNA vaccines and, um, I mean, it's just been incredible to see um, and I've got real confidence of, and again, our scientists to be able to um, continue to adapt these vaccines as we see variants. Um, and then ultimately, uh, you know, we need to just get through and do everything we possibly can. Once we're double vaxxed and at 80%, we will be 
just about the highest in the world of any country when we did reopen. Most countries reopened before that. Um, so I think we will have done, you know, a, a really tremendous job around that. Um, we've got great learnings. Uh, again, when we look around the world, we know that boosters are required for Pfizer and we've got planning around those as well. So I guess when I say, for example, when I talk to some of the senior leadership um, in businesses where we're linked to overseas, they actually look to Australia and are, are somewhat envious um, that we have such a, a high rate of our population participating in that um, and that we will get to 70 and 80% fully vaccinated um, and reopen um, in, a, in, a, in a safe manner. So that they are genuinely envious that we have that because a lot of countries are far, far more divided than what we are um, and won't be able to enjoy the standard of living that we will um, once we do get to this 80% level. I love that. Um, so, James, is there anything about your businesses or your, your venues that you reckon is going to be better than it was in 2019? Well, look, there's no doubt that the digitisation in our, our whole industry has, has increased tremendously. So we launched early on um, contactless ordering um, and I think, you know, we'll still have a hybrid model. We really value um, face-to-face, you know, connection with, with guests. So um, it will be the guests and customers' choice whether they want to order uh, contactless digitally um, through their own device or whether they want to order traditionally through a server. Um, but I think that um, provides, you know, that hybrid model provides some real efficiencies for our um, business and it provides, um, you know, greater flexibility and, and choice of service for, for guests. That's a great positive. Um, I think we really do appreciate um, just how important our industry and venues are to the fabric of our communities. Um, so I think everybody will fall in love again with their local pub and, and restaurants. Um, and again, we've got so many uh, occasions, birthdays and um, and celebratory events to catch up with, um, with loved ones. So I think that will really benefit. The other thing that I guess from the pandemic um, that we've been very fortunate in with my business, most of our locations are suburban based and we have seen obviously a lot of people working from home more and staying, um, you know, a, a bit more suburban. So we're seeing that's really helped us and helped our takeaway trade. Uh, and I think, um, again, when we get reopened, that, that trend of people working more from home will benefit suburban venues ongoing. Uh, and then takeaway overall, I, I see, um, you know, our focus and, and um, goals around takeaways is for, is for that to be incremental revenue um, and certainly not cannibalise um, uh, dine-in uh, custom. Dining will always be our core focus, but we really see that we can grow revenue above and beyond and Pre-pandemic, takeaway was less than 1% of our business and I can envisage ongoing us getting back to um, where we were pre-pandemic and beyond for dining very soon and having an additional 10% revenue of takeaway above, above and beyond that. So that's been, a, that's been an actual, actual silver lining that will come out of this whole pandemic as well. That's really interesting. I mean, who do you think would continue with the takeaway? I'm sort of envisaging, you know, it's a late sporting game. The kids are in bed. It's too hard to get a babysitter. You'd get your wings delivered. Is it that kind of thing? Well, I think sometimes, you know, um, you know, it's Friday night and maybe you, you can't be bucket to go to the pub for, for <laughs> a, you know, work's been big that week. So you might want to just sit home and um, still have that similar experience and, and engage um, on the couch. Um 
So that's okay too. And look, in the US, uh, pre-pandemic, TGI Fridays would would have seen between 20 and 25% of their revenue as to go. Ah. And post-pandemic, it's sitting at about 40. So wow. uh, it has grown immensely. And if you think about restaurants and the predictions in the US over the next, you know, five to 10 years is that 80% of compound annual growth rate will come from um, to go, not from uh, dining in venue in premise, on premise. So I think, you know, uh, we all, we, we do tend to head the way of America. Um, we're usually five or 10 years behind in some of the trends, but I think, uh, we will see that. And as I said, I've got no doubt in five to 10 years that takeaway will um, be a strong part of our industry. And we just need some more competition around the um, uh, delivery partners and that whole structure because that's that's been something that Australia's um, been really challenged with compared to other parts of the world. Yeah, definitely. So what, what, uh, what platforms do you use to get your takeaway to people? Look, right now we're we're using multiple. I think we're on with um, Uber, with Menulog, DoorDash, um, and uh, and Deliveroo. So we do, uh, and depending on the market we're in around the country, um, some of those platforms are stronger than others. Um, delivery driver and shortages of those specifically is probably one of the biggest challenges we've seen as an industry, which is, uh, you know, tremendously frustrating when we're in a pandemic where our revenue is already decimated, where we're just getting by, keeping the lights on on takeaway, and then you've got, um, you know, um, unfortunately orders that get cancelled on you where you've cooked the food and customers unhappy and um, and we're at a loss on it. So. Um, Certainly, labour shortage in that space is, is is a problem, and that's really the greatest challenge that I see going forward over the next twelve months. Um, as I said, I'm actually really bullish, optimistic that once we get to this eighty percent target, um, customer demand will be really strong. I think we will be able to live with the virus, um, and again, seeing examples around the world, um, uh, you know, again, and some of the learnings and where they have had to go back into lockdowns, I think has been um, some there's learnings and things that we can avoid from what they've done um, and, and making sure that we've got boosters ready um, and that um, we are, we are uh, really at those very high rates and obviously now um, being very cognizant that Delta does affect kids. I think, you know, uh, our, our strategy will combat all of those and hospitality will get a run and 2022 will be fantastic. So we, we really, um, you know, look at that this next year ahead very, very bullishly Uh, and staff um, is our number one priority, looking after our staff that we've got right now, ensuring that they are staying positive, ensuring they're staying connected with us, uh, engaging in training and are ready to go when we reopen, that they're able to partake if we've got a vaccinated um, uh, passport that is required and they need to be vaccinated. So doing all those things. And then, again, I, I know the whole industry, um, I mean, we've been decimated. We've had, you've got student visa holders, um, student visas in Australia, there was about 700,000 of them. We're down to under 400,000 now. They were a big part of our industry. Um, the skilled visa holders that left Australia, um, and they're really hard to replace. We've got to get them back. Um, and and that's going to take some time to do that safely. Uh and then the people that, unfortunately, good people that have left our industry because, um, you know, we've been shut for so long that they may have found other careers or other aspirations. Um, 
that's a challenge. And then normally we would have had these last two years to develop people and team members that would be stepping up into more senior positions. So we've had a, 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 a period of two years where we've, we, we've lost that um, ability to develop in, a, in, a, in the same way that we used to be able to. So staff, staff is definitely going to be on everybody's tongue in our industry for the next 12 months. Yeah, but what I love about what you're saying is that you've got that that optimism that's at the base of it all, and then all the other challenges you're talking about, they're all they're all things that you can invest in, and yeah, try to try to make the best of. Um, so I think you know, in the end, when you've invested in new staff members, and hopefully we can get some more coming in from overseas eventually, then the industry is going to be yeah, it's all it's all sort of on the up, isn't it? Absolutely. I think um, overall we, we, we have fared very well as an industry. I'm really proud of, of um, you know, the way the industry has come together and supported each other and, and got through it. And um, the resilience seen from, from my team, I'm just incredibly proud of and certainly colleagues in, in other businesses. Um, you know, uh, again, I, I'm, I, I'm, I think uh, overall, we're in a resilient bunch um, and determined and our industry will be very bright in the future. Good words, James. It's been really a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for your strategies and your optimism and your investment in the industry. It's it's really great. I wish you all the best for powering on, climbing out of this and, yeah, a, a wonderful year to, ahead. Thanks for allowing me to share. All right. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, Danny. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you.